Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, and as always, I'm delighted that you've decided to join us to talk about your landscape, to talk about your vegetable gardens, all kinds of things. Anything that's green and growing, well, that's what we're here to talk about. Oh, I hope you had a great, great week this past week. You know, you can already sense maybe the change of the season. Golly, still February, though. And then that's sort of the worry about February and March is that, you know, we'll have some really warm days. I think I remind you of this every year, but we'll have some really warm days and then we'll have some cold nights and then some cold days and warm days. It goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. As the old timer said, if you don't like the weather in Georgia, just wait a few minutes. Maybe you'll like it then. (laughs) So, of course, we've got to be on the lookout for things that are opening up and budding out. You know, one of the things I think I've already mentioned is your hydrangeas. Those big leaf hydrangeas, the ones with the blue and the pink flowers. Yes, those are going to love warm weathers. It's going to stimulate them to open their buds and start growing. And of course, I've already seen some of that in my landscape. But today, we're going to talk about plants that usher in spring. And these are plants that are blooming at the late part of winter, going into the earliest parts of spring. These are truly the plants that give you hope. These are the plants that will give you a future for this year. They are here to remind us that the winter days will come to an end. Leafless trees will flourish again, leaf out with those beautiful shades of bright green on those young, immature leaves. And so these are plants that are happy little reminders that everything will be all right. That the fear of being inside because it's so cold outside those days will be over. Maybe not yet, but these plants are quite unique in what they do in that they are a reminder that spring is around the corner. Spring is on the way. So today we'll be talking about plants that usher in spring. Uh, But if you were not able to join us here on WRWH 93.9 FM, or uh, if you've been listening online and kind of have not been able to join us lately, Uh, I do want to remind you that last week we had a special guest, Ben Ross with Ross Landscapes. We were talking, I wanted an inside look. You know, I've talked about, you know, my opinion on landscapers. And now that he's not in the studio with us today, maybe I can say a few things about that. But other than that, uh, he was here to give us an inside look into the landscaping world. A lot of times I see, um, you know, with clients that I work with uh, at Lanier Nursery and Gardens, where you can find me throughout the week, or of course, uh, when I'm consulting with people in their landscape, you know, a lot of times I hear the good the bad and the ugly when it comes to folks working with landscapers. You know, they speak a certain language. You got to be able to speak that language and relay all those dreams and hopes and goals and tasks that you want them to accomplish for you. And so a lot of times I see a lot of frustration. And so the idea last week, of course, was to bring in an insider, if you will, and uh, basically see what 
see what uh, what the inside looks like in the landscaping world and try to give you some ideas and tips on what to look for when choosing a landscaper, making sure that you're picking the right landscaper. So since there's not a landscaper with me right now, um, I will go ahead and say some of the things that I would take away from last week as you are looking maybe this year, 2024, into having some help, getting some help in your landscape, whether it's just mowing your, your lawn or maybe blowing and pruning tree shrubs, whatever task you may see that you may need help with. Uh, before you choose a landscaper, of course, the top thing is to find someone who's reputable. And this is difficult in the industry I'm in because, of course, Unlike, say, a brain surgeon or a doctor of any kind, there's no board. Like there's a medical board overseeing doctors. And of course, there's certain certifications and verifications and credentials that you'd have to have in order to be a landscaper. Really, all it takes, no offense, no offense to anyone, but all it takes, all you really have to have are a business license. That's really it. I mean, it, usually you'd probably need a truck and a trailer uh, so you can move equipment around. You need a mower, maybe blower. There's some things you could you buy all that stuff. It doesn't mean you know what to do with that stuff or how to do it appropriately. So trying to find a reputable landscaper, of course, is going to be the number one task, number one job for you. And we found out last week that, of course, people talk. Maybe your neighbors have some ideas about good landscapers and the fact that maybe a landscaper is working in your community already. Uh, They'll be close by. They'll be handy. They'll be on a job here one day down the street, maybe on your job uh, part of that day. So be talking to your friends and family and neighbors and see what their experience is. Now, just because someone has a bad experience doesn't mean you should throw that away, but keep that in mind. And then, of course... um, Uh, Ben told us last week that, you know, we live in this world of the technology and there's reviews. Um, Somebody has a Google page or something, you may find reviews for certain companies here or there. And that's uh, another key to keep in mind that even though these reviews may be coming from people you don't know, you know, word of mouth, that these could be something uh, to look out for too. And of course, another good way to do it is to, to look around and see, you know, wow, these are some stellar landscapes. I wonder who's doing their landscape. And you may find yard signs uh, advertising for that company who's working in a certain uh, site. And so those may be some ways to pick them out. But of course, once you get in that process, there may be contracts, there may be all these other things to consider. And we, I learned last week that a contract, even though it seems kind of uh, super, inf- super formal, it is necessary. If maybe a landscaper does not offer a contract, that may be a problem because, of course, a contract will not only uh, tell the other guy what you want done, but it will also have a be documentation for you to say, hey, you know, we agreed on this. So a contract helps both parties. And, of course, uh, you're trying to build a relationship. You know, the plumber that comes to your house, you may only need him every now and then. Uh, the electrician, you may only need them every now and then. Maybe just one job, get it done and he's gone. You maybe never see him again. But then, of course, landscapers are different than other people you may contract with because landscapers are going to be around your place frequently. Maybe every week, at least once a month, probably, through the height of the growing season. So you're going to have to build a relationship with these people. Make sure that you meet them first. Make sure they come out and look around. And another thing that I thought was very interesting with the conversation last week was that... um, if a landscaper comes out and is not giving you feedback on your 
landscape, then maybe they don't know what they're talking about. Like, yes, they need to be listening to you. You need to know that they're listening to you. But then again, are they willing to give you observations, things that may need to be done? I mean, you probably are hiring a landscaper because you want certain things accomplished and finished and and things to just look good. So you need somebody who's proactive, looking for potential problems. If you say, hey, I would love to have these kinds of plants over here, and they say, sure, no problem. And then later you find out it was wet soil and it didn't work out. Maybe the area didn't drain well, whatever. If they had been on top of the game, they could have prevented you from planting those things there and maybe spending money on plants that just withered away, rotted away, and died. So, you know, you got to tell them what you want, but then hopefully they're giving you certain feedback. So I don't want to go into all the details. Those are just some few comments and remarks that I had after uh, going through the interview and talking about things with Ben Ross. But uh, be sure to check that out online at NewSouthernGarden.com. And of course, I do want you to check us out on YouTube now because, you know, I've been trying to explain things uh, through the word of mouth, through talking, and I can't al- you can't always explain things. So I thought, why not get more serious about doing YouTube this year and putting videos on. I say YouTube, but they're on our website, NewSouthernGarden.com. And just last week, I was showing folks how to uh, fill in bare spots around your 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 lawn. Uh, really easy, really straightforward. You don't have to go by sod. Of course, you could, but this is an alternative. If you have areas of your lawn that are really nice and lush, you can actually use plants in that space and plug them into your bare spots in the lawn that doesn't look so hot. So be sure to check that out at NewSouthernGarden.com or, of course, YouTube. Just search for New Southern Garden and be sure to like and subscribe because, of course, that's really going to help us get the word out on all the things we can be doing and should be doing and how to do these things in our landscape. So today, of course, we're talking about plants that are ushering in spring. What are the plants that are late bloomers as far as late winter goes? But maybe you consider them early bloomers because we're not quite into spring yet before everything else starts blooming. And as I drive around uh, northeast Georgia and as I look in my own landscape and of course at the nursery, we're starting to see those promises of spring coming forth from these wonderful groups of plants here. So one of the first plants that I am going to talk about that I always talk about this time of year because I believe in them. They are great plants. They're deer resistant. They don't need a lot of light to perform well, even though they could handle morning sun for about six hours. They'll probably look their best and bloom their best if they get that morning sun, but they don't love harsh, full sun, uh, particularly in the afternoon. They will just turn black and they may not die, but they will look ratty. And of course, this is my winter favorite, the hellebore or Lenten rose. Now, Lenten rose, of course, is a very low-growing plant. Uh, it, When it's blooming, it's at its tallest, and it's really probably no taller than 24 inches. And that's just a general statement. Some varieties may be shorter, and some varieties may be a little taller. But you can expect with a flower stalk that the hellebore, or Lenten rose, is about 24 inches tall, and they have these very large leaves. These leaves could be 6 to 8 inches across in diameter, And, of course, they are shaped like a hand. Now, of course, that um, hand-shaped leaf, the botany people, they call that palmate, P-A-L-M, palm, palmate, because it looks like a hand. It looks like a person's palm. And so they give this kind of, in my opinion, a tropical look, um, but they do very well as a ground cover in shady sites, or again, in a site that gets morning sun but afternoon shade. 
and they will spread and creep by reseeding themselves. That's right. So after they're done blooming this time of year, they're really fully open right now. All the hellebores I've seen are just either, you know, already got several large flowers opened and maybe a few to follow. But of course, when they set their seed in the spring, then they will scatter that seed on the ground and those seeds will germinate this time next year and they will become brand new plants. If you look underneath your existing hellebores or Lenten rose, if you have them, uh, like I do, I see little seedlings all over the place. And I love that because of course, it just means free plants and I don't have to do all the work of collecting seed and sowing it and babying it along in little containers until I can put it in the landscape. I just let them take over the areas, and as they get too thick because of that, I will lift those individual plants and put them under trees somewhere else or put them in another garden bed. And that, my friends, is the plant that keeps on giving free plants. Who would want anything less? But if that becomes a problem for you, well, don't worry because there are some modern hellebore varieties that are being bred, and they've particularly been bred because their flowers sit more upright. The traditional hellebore sort of hangs down like a bell, and you can't see up underneath those petals. You can only see the outside of the petals. But if you look underneath those uh, petals, you will see the center of the plant has these beautiful, of course, it's all the sexual parts of the plant, but the beautiful display of yellows and whites, and it just adds another layer. And of course, there's a lot of times spots on the inside of those flowers that you can't see with those nodding flowers. But with the new hybrids, they are breeding them so they sit upright and perky and you can see the inside of those flowers without having to stoop over and turn them upright. And with that comes something we call sterility, which means that those flowers have been hybridized in such a way that they are sterile uh, and they cannot reproduce. They cannot set seeds. They will have all of those flowering parts, but they will not be able to generate seeds. So that is one way to put hellebores in a site that you want to sort of control them. They do spread slowly, but they clump rather than throw seed out everywhere. So there's a lot of options in the hellebore or Linton rose world. And of course, they are wonderful because they are a one of the first reminders that spring is on the way and that other flowering plants are sure to follow. They come in a variety of colors as far as the flowers go from dark maroons to pinks and pale whites and everything in between. So be on the lookout for hellebore blooming in your landscape if you have them uh, or maybe your neighbor's landscape if you don't have them. And if you don't have some, go to your local nursery, find some, because they're one of the first greatest plants to usher in spring. More of these plants when we get back from this break. Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone, so get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well.
So gang, on today's program, we are talking about the wonderful blooming plants that are here to help us usher in spring. These plants bloom near the end of winter and going into the earliest parts of spring, and many of them are starting to bloom right now. Before the break, we were talking about hellebore or Lenten rose. That's always at the top of my list because it's an evergreen, low-growing perennial plant. Not many. There's not many perennials that are evergreen. Uh, this is one that is quite unique in that. And of course, they're quite deer resistant. I mean, I will say if I hear of someone tell me that deer are eating their hellebores, I will have to throw in the towel in this business and go start flipping hamburgers because that would be crazy. Deer are going after things we never thought they would. And if they go after this plant, that's it. We're done for folks. No, uh, but hellebore is a great plant that ushers in spring and of course, it looks good all year long as a ground cover. Now, in the shrub world, there's a wonderful shrub that um, I've seen starting to bloom just this past week. Uh, let's see, it has these yellow fragrant flowers. And you may be thinking of something that is not this plant, but this plant is the paper bush, the Chinese paper bush or Edgewarthia. And Edgewarthia is a wonderful kind of dome shaped plant. It creates these huge domes. Uh, they are 100% deciduous, which means that they do drop all of their leaves in the fall time, which is really cool when they start blooming this time of year because now we see these clusters of these tubular yellow flowers scattered across a naked bush, right? A naked stem. And it gives you this sort of whimsical, magical, wonderland kind of effect. Uh, it, it just seems like something, this plant always reminds me of something you may see uh, in a fairy tale because it gives you that kind of feel, that kind of look. And they don't need a whole lot of pruning unless you want to keep them shorter than they are. I mean, three foot, easy, uh, probably no taller than six foot. I have never seen one quite that tall, but they can become quite robust, even though they may only put about you know, six inches of growth per year. But they naturally want to form this kind of dome shape which is really cool and like I said probably the the most brilliant thing about them is that they bloom without any leaves on them it's really really cool and attractive particularly with that dome shape their leaves are really nothing to to write home about except they're um, sort of elliptical they're elongated they're longer than most of the garden plants we may be growing. Um, they are quite papery-like, so you can see how it gets its name, the Chinese paper bush. The stems are not really gray. They're sort of this tan taupe color. Uh, they have a bit of brown to them, so that's, that's really different too. Um, and just this week, we were, of course, working out at the nursery and uh, moving some plants around, getting ready for spring, and I catch this whiff of something in the air and I didn't even think about it. I was thinking, what is that? It smells so great, nice and fragrant. And I'm looking around trying to think, what could this be, you know? Um, and then one of my workers, uh, he says, whoa, something really smells good. And then it hit me. We were working near the paper bush, the Edgewarthia, and they are almost fully opened. And of course, they're becoming very fragrant. It's a different smell. It's not a jasmine smell. It's not a rose smell. It has its own unique smell, but it is sweet and it is very fragrant. So I think that if you don't have Edgewarthia or paper bush in your landscape, be sure to check that out. Now, the wonderful thing about paper bush is they're not really water hungry. Um, 
they probably would suffer in a very wet area. Uh, however, general well-draining garden soil will work for you. Uh, they, they will love that, no problem. Uh, organic soil, you know, it's, it's not really a full sun-loving plant. It can handle morning sun, but probably want to give it a break from the sun in the summer during the afternoon. Um, and then, of course, you just enjoy the plant throughout the season as this dome-shaped plant with these sort of green-gray leaves. It won't do anything else as far as looking great until we get to the fall when those leaves become quite yellow and you have this beautiful yellow uh, foliage for fall time. And then, of course, they drop those leaves and most of the winter they're just sitting there with their um, interesting colored uh, stems and then boom, out of nowhere, when the temperatures start warming up as we go up and down through February, this is usually the time of year we see them. And they are another great shrub to help us assure in the spring. So, of course, paper bush is deciduous, but you can find another plant uh, that ushers in spring that is completely evergreen, which means she's going to look good all year long and then give you a benefit of some flowers this time of year, and that is winter Daphne or fragrant Daphne. I have several common names, but Daphne odora is a wonderful evergreen plant, particularly for shade, uh, not so much for full, full sun, even though you could give it probably six, eight hours of sun in the morning, but we do want to give it another break. And Daphne does not want to be in wet soil at all. As a matter of fact, if you don't have a Daphne, or maybe you've had a Daphne and you noticed it just whew, went away, just just for no reason. It's probably because it didn't love the spot it was in, particularly because here in the Piedmont, at least, our soils are clay-based, and clay-based soils are quite moisture-retentive. They hold on to soil and don't always drain well. But you can correct that simply by, of course, amending the soil with something like soil conditioner or some... Um, uh, uh, coarse compost. I couldn't think of the word coarse. The coarse compost. Work that into your planting area. And then when you plant your Daphne, don't bury it very deep. Don't bury the root ball very deep. Rather, try to mound the soil up around the root ball. Maybe bury the bottom four to six inches of the root ball, but leave a nice little mound. I planted my Daphne on the recommendation of someone who knew what they were doing with Daphne, and it is done beautifully. It's already on a sort of uh, knoll, a, a little high spot in the, in a bed, but I went ahead and mounded it up about six inches. And you know what? I, even after three years, you can't tell that it was mounded up. Everything's kind of settled down. The Daphne's roots have found exactly where she can grow. She seems to be healthy and happy because just before I left this morning, of course, she has some beautiful pink buds coming on her and they will be blooming. And talk about fragrance, Daphne, of course, it's in the name, Daphne Odora, odor, having an odor. It is a wonderful, I wouldn't call it odor, I would call it fragrance, because it is beautiful. It's a great smell. It is sweeter than most anything. It's like that jasmine smell, and of course, it's quite unique in the fragrance she has, but it's a super sweet smell, and so my Daphne is planted near our front porch, which does get a bit of shade quite a bit of shade actually, and she loves the site, but for me, it's great to have her there because as we come in and out of the house, we will get that wonderful fragrance that Daphne provides. Now, Daphne does come in a couple of color forms as far as the flower goes. I mentioned mine are pink, uh, but of course, white is pretty standard as well. And a lot of times, Daphne's will just have green leaves, but there are some Daphne's like, I believe it's Daphne marginata, um, which has a white edge 
around the leaf itself, which is a wonderful look. It's a wonderful uh, plant as far as variegated leaves go. And since Daphne is evergreen, she will have those beautiful, wonderful leaves for us all year long. And then, of course, the best part is that she provides us with these blooms in the later part of winter and ushers us into spring. So as long as you plant her in a space that is not too sunny, and a space that is very well drained. Maybe you have to amend the soil or mound her up and plant proud, plant above the soil level. Then you should see wonderful success. Again, she does not like wet feet. When I planted her maybe two years ago, I might have watered her that day that I planted her, but have not really watered her since because she doesn't require it. She doesn't require it. Now, if we go through a drought and you've planted her in spring, you may want to keep your eye on her, but you don't have to give her a lot of water. And it's just a wonderful thing because, of course, the fragrance, oh, the fragrance and the evergreenness. She can be a foundation plant around your house. She could be um, some, some focal point even in a shady site because she's evergreen and then provides flowers in the spring. And she works well with smaller woodland plants like ferns or hostas or whatnot. And one of the benefits to Daphne, like the hellebore and paper bush, is because of all this fragrance, there are certain chemical compounds that keep deer away. Daphne is one of the other few just gorgeous plants that we don't seem to have a problem with deer with. So that's a benefit. Anytime we can plant something that's wonderful, evergreen, blooms, and fragrant, and the deer don't like it, that's a great plant. That's a winner. So more winning plants to usher in spring in your landscape after we get back from this break. Hang on tight. Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. So gang, of course, today we are talking about plants that help us usher in spring. These are a wonderful group of plants because they remind us that we're not going to be stuck in winter with leafless plants and no blossoms. They are here to encourage us. They're the first, they're the first at race day. First on race day. That's what they call it, right? <laughs> they are. They are the first of the first in a year's time and they were the wonderful plants of course we've talked about hellebore we've talked about the chinese paper bush and daphne daphne odora that wonderfully sweet fragrant plant that's evergreen and beautiful all year uh, and i've got several more to share with you but before we go into some of that i do want to remind you of course that um new southern garden is also posting videos online at NewSouthernGarden.com and on YouTube. Uh, so be sure to subscribe on YouTube so you can get all the new content we'll be rolling out. We try to roll out at least once a week. Been doing so for a month and a half now, maybe a little over a month and a half. But regardless, that's my commitment to 2024 is to be able to show you some of the things that I talk about here on the program. And of course, you can see it in action. You can see what these plants actually look like and not just rely on my description 
I hope I do a good job on description, but you know, uh, a picture is worth more than a thousand words in this business, that's for sure. So this weekend, uh, we'll be releasing a video on how to pot up orchids. Uh, the Phalaenopsis orchid, which of course is also known as the moth orchid. It is probably the best orchid to start out with if you want to get into growing orchids. Um, they're really resilient no matter what you do to them. You forget to water them and they'll be okay. Um, of course, they eventually will give up on you if you give up on them. But otherwise, they are a beautiful orchid and easy to grow. Great houseplants. So we'll be doing a series of videos on that orchid because it is so popular and it is so wonderful, so beautiful too. So I've got some new orchids that I'm potting up and we'll talk about watering later. We'll talk about fertilizing them and all the things we can do and hopefully eventually how to propagate them. That's going to be a wonderful thing, how to propagate orchids. You can grow your own orchids at home and it's not really that hard. So that's all upcoming at NewSouthernGarden.com and of course on YouTube. Just search for New Southern Garden and be sure to subscribe. So other than hellebore, paperbush, daphne, what are some other wonderful plants that are going to help us usher in spring? Well, the next one is one of my favorites. It's another shrub, and it's quite a large shrub. Uh, it can also it can really be used uh, as a hedge, but they are quite deciduous. They do drop their leaves. They may keep just a few, but for all intents and purposes, they do drop all their leaves. But much like the paper bush, this plant also blooms with those naked stems. And it gives you a really cool, just mythical, magical, uh, wonderland kind of feel in your landscape. And this plant is called winter honeysuckle. Winter honeysuckle. It is very fragrant, just like much of the un other honeysuckles. However, whenever we use the term honeysuckle, we usually are referring to a vine. You know, there's the Japanese honeysuckle, which is the ones you and I probably remember as kids growing up, running through the woods, and they have those white and then yellow flowers. You pick them off and you pull out the, um, the, the sexual parts, and then there's that nectar. There's that juice, that sweet juice, right? Well, this is quite different because this is not an invasive plant like the Japanese honeysuckle that has overtaken our woodlands. Uh, this plant is quite tame. It does not climb and crawl, but it does sucker. So you might have a plant planted in one area and then off you know, a few feet away, you may get side shoots. Now, I don't see this as a problem for me because that just means I can separate that side shoot from the mother plant, plant it somewhere else, and I have more plants. More plants for free. That's a great way to be budget-friendly in the landscape is let these plants multiply themselves. But the winter honeysuckle can be quite large, definitely over six foot tall in its lifetime, uh, maybe pushing into that 10 foot. So you might need to train it and trim it some, uh, but I think it is completely worth it for a couple of reasons. The first reason being that it is one of these plants that starts blooming before spring gets here. When it's blooming, it's very fragrant, super fragrant. You could easily take some of those stems, uh, make some cuttings and arrange them in a vase and bring them inside. Uh, they will definitely be a wonderful addition to cut flowers for this time of year. And of course, um, the flower itself is this sort of icy white. And when I say icy white, like the petals are almost translucent, like light can shine through those petals and they're uh, just look like ice to me. So wonderful time for them to bloom when we may have ice here and there. Uh, but otherwise, you get that fragrance in the landscape. You could get the fragrance in the, um, in the indoors, of course. And then lastly, of course, when they put out their leaves, 
when they put out their leaves, they are this blue-green, just a nice round blue-green leaf, and they will carry that all the way through through uh, summer and into fall. Uh, fall color is probably more yellow, if anything. It's not like anything to write home about, I suppose, uh, but you know, you, you get a little bit of benefit, too, in the fall with their fall color before their, their leaves fall off. So winter honeysuckle could be a feature plant because they get so big, they could be sort of a specimen, or they could also be used as a screen and as a hedge. And because they tend to sucker and put up side roots, uh, side shoots, th- that is a good thing for a hedge, for a screen. You don't have to plant as many. They will just sort of multiply on their own. But I was working, of course, uh, with plants at the nursery this past week and noticed they were blooming and I couldn't resist but get up to them and smell them. Wonderful, fragrant plant, the winter honeysuckle that is going to help you usher in spring. Now, let's talk about a small plant. Let's get small, little tiny plants. And these are relatively cheap if you're on a budget. Um, They don't bloom for very long, but they do bloom this time of year if we had snow, uh, they could bloom through the snow. I've seen it before uh, when I was growing this plant, one of the first plants I probably planted, one of the first bulbs. This plant is a bulb plant, and we did have snow that year, and it was just great to see these bits of flowers popping up through the snow. And this is the crocus. The crocus, of course, uh, is that very low, maybe six inches at most. Most of them are shorter than six inches, but um, you may not find them too readily available right now because, of course, they are a fall planted bulb that blooms uh, the next year at the earliest part of spring. So with that being said, of course, the crocus comes in a shade and a variety, all kinds of shades and colors, variety of colors. So that's sort of, I've seen purples and near blues, you know, not true blue, but pale purples, pale purples, that's hard to say, like lavenders, and then whites, icy, brilliant whites, and yellows. And of course, these plants, um, they sort of have a tulip-like blossom, if you will, very uh, diminutive compared to a tulip, but their petals are long and they go straight up and make these little cups, if you will. And so if you want a certain color when you're buying crocus bulbs, be sure to buy uh, that certain color. And then, of course, you you may want, like I prefer, a variety of colors and you can buy them as a mix pack. So you have all of these wonderful colors all over the place. So they will come up, they will bloom, they'll have their leaves for a few weeks. And then, of course, they just disappear. They just disappear. And then you forget about them until they remind you that spring is coming again. So with that being said, the crocus is probably best planted in mass. Don't just plant three bulbs, plant 300 bulbs. You know what I'm saying? You don't have to go that crazy. But if you at least group them in, in tens to thirties at a, in, in, in any given area, uh, they will be more impressive than just planted on their own. You can space them as close as you like. They're really small bulbs, really small plants, but you may go as far apart as four inches to let their leaves spread out a bit, even though there's not much to them. Uh, But plant them in mass. They're also a wonderful plant to naturalize a space. They tend to multiply here and there, and of course, they can fill in under shady trees, or they can go in sunny areas. And the concept behind that is that because they do their thing so early in the year, that even if they're planted under trees, 
uh, the trees won't have leaves on them, so they can get all the benefits of that early sunlight before the leaves start flushing out and covering the soil with shade. And so they are generating all of their stuff there. So they're sort of this ephemeral. Ephemeral just means kind of short-lived, if you will. Even though they live for many years, their presence in the landscape is short-lived year to year. So they bloom They capture all of that light that they can, and then like I mentioned earlier, they disappear. They're just gone. They go away. And then, of course, they'll return. Uh, They will return no problem the next year. But if you mixed, I just had a thought, if you mix crocus and winter honeysuckle and that paper bush in the same planting space, uh, this time of year it would be quite impressive, and it would look ethereal. It would be that kind of uh, fairy tale wonderland that we see in movies and read in books. Those three plants would be a wonderful selection to go together. And, and that's another, maybe we should take this, this point here to, to stop and talk about how do we use these plants that usher in spring and bloom so late in the year? How do we mix these plants with other things in the landscape? Because of course, we're talking a specific time period here. If we just had a a planting bed or a landscape that was full of this time of year things, then it may not look so good the rest of the year. So, of course, we want to think about things that are evergreen. Uh, We want to think about things that give us maybe fall color in these beds. And then, of course, we'd want to also think about using these plants with plants that actually bloom in the spring. True spring, not early spring uh, or late winter, but true spring. And then on into summer and maybe uh, bulbs and plants that will bloom in the fall. Uh, But sometimes this time of year is forgotten about because it's sort of too early for us to get out and go shopping at the plant nurseries. So we're not exactly sure what's blooming this time of year. Uh, And it's maybe too late for that fall rush we may have. So be sure to be thinking about these kinds of plants and how they may work well with some of the other plants you have in your landscape. So for instance, if you look at your foundation plantings and you say, you know, winter or this part of this time of year is not really that attractive. I don't have any blooms. I have some evergreen plants, maybe they're hollies or gardenias or something. Uh, And that's wonderful to have those plants, Uh, maybe evergreens like conifers, like the gold mops or the cryptomerias, but I don't really have anything blooming. Well, use some of these plants, whether you need big plants or whether you need small plants, and incorporate them into what is lacking this time of year. I think that's one of the best things to do on a regular basis, maybe month to month, but at least season to season, is take notes and then figure out what can you do in a certain area that is lacking in that season. What else can we add? I have nothing going on right now, so maybe we do incorporate some hellebores, or maybe we do incorporate that uh, fragrant Daphne that we talked about. Or maybe you have a sort of screen that's patchy and bare in some areas. Uh, you can see your neighbor, but you don't want to, you don't want to see them completely, but you don't want to block it out completely, you know, with a thick evergreen. Well, maybe the winter honeysuckle would be a good option. And you will not only have screening through the summer when it has leaves, but of course you can also have winter blooms this time of year. So I shouldn't have really stopped talking about plants there, but I do think that as we talk more about stuff that's going on this time of year, it's probably a good time to assess and to consider what you may or may not, what you may need and maybe what you're lacking so that you can correct that because now is still a wonderful time to plant. We have 
oh, several weeks at least before spring springs up, <laughs> before spring gets going and the plants start budding out, leafing out. And of course, they need this, they need that when they start growing. Uh, it's just a good time to plant to keep things going and to uh, get them started before spring actually gets here. So I don't know, I didn't mean to go into that diatribe, but I do think that it's quite essential to look at every season in your landscape. You know, we always want things to be looking good, right? So we need to get serious this year and start thinking, what do I need to do or have blooming or have growing this time of year, every year to come? Well, I know we're coming up on a break, gang, but I've got two more plants, two that you're probably very familiar with. Uh, It's a good reminder that these plants, even though they're around and we've seen them a lot, they are part of that group of plants that helps us to usher in spring and to get things going uh, before spring gets here. So two more plants to go, but we're going to make your landscape look great in the later part of winter for years to come. So hang on tight. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the New Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. (laughs) At Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. So gang, of course, it's this time of year where temperatures are up, temperatures are down, back and forth, left and right. Everything is happening in a weird way, and we know that's just what we expect in the South. At least, it's kind of the way it's been my whole life. I don't know if it's been that way your whole life or not, or maybe you're new to this area and not sure what happens in the South, but we do have these periods of very spring-like days. And then, of course, boom, it'll be cold again. Um, You never know. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, there was the blizzard. I think it was blizzard of 90, was it 94, 93? We called it a blizzard. People from up north would think we're crazy, but of course we had a lot of snow. I believe it was around Easter, and Easter may have been the end of March, or it was maybe in April. Haven't had that since. That's been over 20-something years, but you never know what's going to happen. But I can guarantee you this. There are a group of plants that are always going to give you hope for spring. If you don't have the plants that we're talking about somewhere in your landscape, you really need to check them out, uh, do some digging. Maybe you've got some gardening friends who have some of these that, you know, a lot of these, like I've mentioned, they sort of multiply on their own, like the hellebore and the winter honeysuckle. Maybe they let you dig up a little slip and trade and swap. But the reality, folks, is that regardless These plants, no matter the weather, they tend to do what they do before spring gets going. So a lot of times we call these winter bloomers. We call them winter bloomers, and it's really very late winter bloomers. But they do. They do give us a hope. They do give us that uh, reminder that we're not going to be in this weird, cold, warm situation forever. That spring 
is on the way. So already we've talked about hellebore and Lenten rose, which if you've listened to this program before, you know how much I do adore those plants because they're very deer resistant, but they bloom when nothing else does, or at least along with these other plants. And then the Chinese paper bush, which is very fragrant. Daphne, which is very fragrant. And the winter honeysuckle, which is very fragrant. Who knew that we could have a fragrant garden at the end of winter? And then, of course, we left off with the crocus, which is that small, dainty, bulbous plant that just does its thing very early on in the year, and then boom, she's gone until she returns next year, and they're quite reliable. But then there are a couple of plants, and I saved these two for last because they are probably the most well-known, maybe overused, but I don't know how these could be overused, um, especially if you work with them in the right way. Um, So forsythia, or yellow bell bush. That's what my granny would have called it, the yellow bell bush. You know what I'm talking about. So forsythia is its botanical name, of course, but forsythia is that deciduous plant, that deciduous shrub, that, of course, many of them get quite large, six feet easy. The ones that are growing at my garden are over my head. Um, but I will say that if that is a problem for you, don't give up on them because there are a lot of new varieties coming out. There's one, I believe it's called Sugar Baby. I haven't seen it in person, but I know some of our growers have been playing with that one uh, over the past couple of years, and it's supposed to be very dwarf, maybe 24, 36 inches. So it's going to be a wonderful addition to a small garden or small space. Now, of course, the yellow bell bush, she gets her name simply because of that. Her flowers are a yellow bell-shaped flower, and they can be bright, vivid yellow. I have seen different shades depending on uh, the variety that you may be growing, but of course, yellow is the main color, and she gets her name honestly. She gets her name yellow bell honestly. And of course, they are have not started to bloom, but I have noticed that their buds are starting to swell. And that means that things are going, things are moving, and they will be blooming very soon. So even though the Edgewarthia or the paperbush and the honeysuckle, the Daphne and hellebores are already kind of in full force right now, the forsythia is definitely going to be something that is to be on the lookout for very soon. And they are a sprawling plant. They are sort of a weeping plant. I have to say that I hate to see um, yellow bells being trimmed very vigorously, very ruthlessly, because a lot of times, maybe it's a landscaper, maybe it's a homeowner, but I'll be driving around town and I'll see this ball of yellow bell flowers. That's not what Forsythia wants to do. This is an example of a plant that we need to let her present these arching canes, these arching branches. They, they climb up and then start leaning over. And this is a wonderful effect if it's pruned correctly. So with a yellow bell, be sure that we are trimming them by thinning them, not by removing the heads or the tips of the branches. That just creates a dense mess of branches, whereas thinning is where we go down into the plant and remove a stem where it originates. Don't remove just the tip, but remove the stem where it originates. So yellow bell, you know it, you've seen it, you will be seeing it if you're on the lookout for it because they will be blooming soon, but I don't think we should give up on her. She is one of the earliest shrubs to bloom and tells us that spring is on the way. And they have some very good fall color too. Now, the last one, the last plant for the day when it comes to plants that usher in spring is the daffodil. Narcissus, that's right, the daffodil. You know, they had just started popping up a few weeks ago, 
And that was probably the first activity I saw uh, as far as these winter bloomers go. Maybe the hellebores were starting to pop up, which didn't surprise me. But it seems like daffodil, we call it a spring bloomer, but it's really become a late winter bloomer. Uh, one of the first spring blooming bulbs to actually grow and, 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 and bloom. And right now they are in full force. But when I saw them pop up a few weeks ago, I thought, oh, goodness. We're getting close to spring. It's time, you know, especially running a plant nursery at Lanier Nursery and Gardens and Flowery Branch where you can find me throughout the week. It's like, oh, I got so much work to do. And the daffodils are already blooming. Oh, I had to have a little cry session. But they made me happy because, of course, they have those very golden um, yellow flowers. And the wonderful thing about daffodils is it's not just golden flowers. That's sort of the standard, but you can also find like orange flowers, uh, white flowers, of course, maybe some of the petals have a ring of orange, but they're white mainly. You know, there's a lot of variegation, a lot of, lot of variety when it comes to the daffodil. So be sure to look out what's blooming. There's doubles, you know, daffodils that are just full of petals, chalk full of petals, but otherwise they sort of look like a little buttercup you know they they sort of have a spray of petals and then this little cup right in the middle and it is just beautiful and dainty now daffodil can grow in about any condition you put it in maybe not boggy soil well-draining soil would be wonderful uh, they're quite drought tolerant because they tend to disappear once it gets hot anyways but just like the crocus they do all of their their activity before the leaves on the trees come out so you can easily put daffodils underneath trees in shady sites or you can put them in an open field where there are no trees so full sun full shade doesn't matter for them they're not going to bark at you they're just going to bloom for you and of course they are one of the best bulbs to naturalize that's right you can just spread out a cluster of bulbs one year and then the next year you'll have more and then the next year you'll have more and so year after year you have this uh, effect where it looks like the bulbs were not planted there it looks like they've always been there they've become naturalized they just take off on their own it's a carefree plant doesn't take much um, the only thing like with many bulbs that bloom so early is that they need to maintain their leaves until the leaves dry back Okay, they are going to bloom, and that takes a lot of energy. And in order to recharge that bulb for next year's bloom, you need to leave those leaves until they at least turn yellow, but preferably till they're completely crispy and dry. And then, of course, they've resurged their bulb there. So with that being said, of course, uh, daffodil is one of those early bloomers. It is one of those things that's going to signal to us, just like the rest of these plants. I hope that today I've given you some inspiration on trying to make your late winter garden just something spectacular. If you're lacking this time of year for something interesting, try one of these seven plants. Well, gang, thanks for joining me for New Southern Garden today. I hope that you will join us next week. And for WRWH and New Southern Garden, my name's Nathan Wilson. Hope you stay well and grow well. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show.